So, so why don't we begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for our sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. And so uh, we're on our fourth talk today as we're making the process of looking at Mary's heart and what it means for us to have a Marian heart. And in the last part of the talk, I got excited, passionate, because this is something that is so important to me. Um, So I went a little bit faster. You can get the recordings and play it at half speed to understand what I was saying. But the point I'm trying to make is we need to have pure hearts. And there's one thing about repenting from our sin. The fact that it helps us overcome that, but in my experience, it's not the specific sins. Those are usually sort of symptoms of something else, either complete apathy, uh, which makes me very upset and I can be very passionate about, or deeper woundedness, and we act out of that woundedness and shame. The problem there is very uncomfortable and very fearful to face that. And so I can say it in a nice way, I can say it in a passionate way, because once we deal with that core issue, then a lot of the times the other ones tend to clear up. Um, It's like I have a cough or something, and you go to the doctor and you could take lozenges, but if you've got the flu or you have a chest cold, you're you're only treating a symptom. We've got to get to the root. And, And the body of Christ, if it's going to be healthy, we need to deal with the root of the problem. So <clears throat> this, this confidence in one's identity and the ability to love in a pure way, uh, freely give of oneself as Mary did in the purity of her heart, and to be able to have that space to receive others, to be the, the, the refuge and the safe place because of the purity of heart. What happens next? What happens next when, when we do have that confidence and we are able to receive people and our heart is becoming more and more like Mary's? Well, I want to explore that a little bit more tonight and to use a couple of metaphors. Um, the first one, at least is of my design, and I'm pretty sure some people, when I bring it up, are going to look at me like I'm crazy, but I'm going to hopefully do my best to make them fit together. Now, of course, some of you may look at me like I'm crazy anyhow, but that is perfectly fine. It won't be the first, and it probably won't be the last. So when, in our Marian heart, out of love, we receive the other person, take them to ourselves in love, we receive them in their entirety. It's not just the parts that we like, It's not just the parts that they want to show us. We are receiving the whole person and loving them, good and bad, with the parts that are the treasures, that are valuable, but also with the refuse, with the shame, with the imperfections. And because we have that non-judgmental attitude, we receive the person in their entirety. And so Mary doesn't. Mary doesn't say, oh, well, you're not good enough for me. No, I'm too holy. No, 
we receive the entirety of the person, as Mary does, loving her children where they're at. Of course, wanting to bring them higher, call them to a deeper purification. Sort of like Mary receiving the apostles. Mary and her love for Mary Magdalene. Each of these individuals, they had to deal with their imperfection and shame. Scripture's very clear. These were not perfect people. But Mary was able to see them, to love them, to accompany them, to call them higher. And I think, of course, the Holy Spirit has a lot to play with it at Pentecost, but Mary was there present. It was her role behind the scenes that hopefully helped create the space for them to grow. Mary was able, though, to receive them in their entirety and to be able to engage in that heart, that type of transformation. How did she do it? Receiving the person in their entirety. The metaphor that I came up with, although I don't remember it was me who came up with it or some other really holy wise person, but maybe we collaborated in this, is that Mary's heart is a compost bin. Or if I'm going to use a simile, it is like a compost bin. What is the compost bin? You're in California, you should know what that is. Everybody loves to recycle over here. It's the place that you take, you know, your banana peels and your coffee grinds and your orange rinds and you dump them in there. And then through the process, they break down and they create basically stuff, the richness to help make fertile soil, compost, so that through this renewal, this transformation, we can have wonderful plants and we can have rich nutrient filled soil. Now, I was an English major. I don't know how it works. Of course, there is the internet, and I could look it up, but y'all understand what I'm talking about. Over time, this compost bin and the, the things that are in it help to bring about this chemical breakdown and transformation. So why do I say Mary's heart is a compost bin? Because as we were talking about with this purity of heart and our shame and getting rid of all this by tearing down the walls, we can give Mary our banana peels, our orange rinds, our, our, our leftovers, the stuff that's the refuse that we don't want, that we're ashamed of, our imperfections, our, 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 our sin. Of course, we give it to the Lord. We give all this junk and we give it to her, and in her heart, she takes it, and because of her heart and the process there, it can be transformed into something great. It's where our weakness then becomes a place of great strength, where we can grow, where the soil is fertile, and become, eventually, as we'll see, a lush green garden. Mary is able to work with us in that Marian heart through her love and through that process to transform our refuse. The stuff in us that we don't like. The stuff that needs to change. Now, there are other metaphors we could use. One that I thought was the wine press. Everybody, oh, the fruit of the vine. Well, there wasn't Walter's grape juice 2,000 years ago. 
no one wants to drink grape juice. We want to drink some wine. But in order to do that, you have to smush the grapes. They have to be crushed. And so there's this process that is the breaking down. It's the fermentation. It is not pleasant. But eventually, through that process, it can become wine. All right, I think you could actually probably just talk about the heart itself. And I'm really not a biologist, but what does the heart do? Draw in the, the, the blood that's been through the body, and it oxygenates it, it cleans it, it transforms it, and then sends it back out. That's what Mary's heart does. It floods it with richness and nutrients. It transforms it. It cleanses it. That love, that pure love, has the ability to do that. How does she do it? Her heart's not a machine. Pure heart's not a machine. There's a process there that enables her to be that compost bin. And I think a power to be able to do that is the depth, the beauty, and the efficiency of Mary's prayer, of her contemplation, of what she keeps in her heart. Luke chapter 2, verse 19 Mary kept all of these things, reflecting on them in her heart. Now, again, I'm not a biologist, I'm not a scientist, and I'm not a Greek scholar, but I just learned a few weeks ago that this word pondered in her heart is actually the word symbolo, that we get our word symbol from. The sisters probably know this. Symbol, which means to Symbalane to or symbolo to throw together. Ball. Throw together. The antonym of that is diabalane or diabolo, which throws at sort of a cross purpose. And so something which is symbolic takes different pieces and puts them together. Diabolical breaks it apart. There's not a unity there. And so what the real literal translation is is that Mary symboled these events in her heart. She took them all and was able, that didn't make sense, and put them together, and through her prayer, somehow it began to make sense. Of course, through the Lord's interaction and grace, she's like turning over the soil, allowing the Lord to break it down, to put the pieces together to give her some understanding and faith. These are the events, though, in her life that she didn't understand. Why is the sword going to pierce my heart? Why does it get to be the rise and the fall of many? And as time went on, and seeing all this really bad stuff, not in her life, of course, not sin, but the suffering of her son, the persecution of the apostles, all this was going on. This was the refuse, the stuff that was not good, and taking it in her heart and transforming it. So it's not just, I think, the bad stuff, as in sin, but it can also be all these things in the world that we don't understand, and evil, and imperfection, and injustice. We can rage against it, or we can put it in that compost bin of Mary's heart, and through her prayer, her symboling together, we can come to see how it makes sense. And so... When we, though, bring Mary our own stuff, whether it be our own sin or our own struggles or the things that don't make sense, she receives it all 
all of our lives, and through that process of prayer, begins to break it down so that it becomes something fertile. I want to go a little bit deeper, though, in trying to understand what this process might be. And it hit me as I was praying. I stumbled upon a quote from Cardinal Ratzinger, who, of course, became Pope Benedict. And he's talking to priests. It's a homily to priests. And so this quote, within the context, applies to priests. But I believe that um, it can apply to just about anyone. Why? Because we all share in the one priesthood of Christ, and we have priest, prophet, and king through our baptism. So I'm going to read this quote. It's pretty dense, but I think it's something that people can understand, and then we're going to do our best to pick it apart. He says, Being a priest means, on the basis of friendship and fellowship with Christ, becoming a friend of for all one's brothers and sisters also. The innermost act of this friendship with people is to bring all of these people, all of their cares, pains, suffering, hopes, and joys, into the presence of the living God in prayer. The priest should, so to speak, gather up all the unresolved matters hidden in everyday activities, the things that oppress and threaten people in the events of this world, and carry them upward so that they address the living God and make their way into his eye, his ear, and to his heart. This, therefore, is the first and innermost task of priestly ministry, understanding, taking up, and transforming human matters in prayer so that they become a cry that stands in the presence of God and draws him down again and again because his heart is moved and he therefore wants to come to us and redeem us. And so we can see how clearly this applies to Mary's heart. It applies to any Marian heart. Taking up all of the things that we see in the world, the things that don't make sense, the things that come with people whom we love, and we bring them to the Lord. And we allow Him to put the pieces together. Him to fix and redeem them. And so we act as sort of the mediator. So it's specifically here through prayer, not just saying prayers, but intercessory prayer in this very deep and unique way. Again, I'm not saying that Mary didn't say, tonight I'm praying for Andrew so that that he can suffer well and that Paul would quit being so stupid and saying stuff to make people want to kill him and that Peter would quit putting... She may do that. But is there something much deeper? This is the deeper type of prayer. It's not a prayer of the head. It's not a prayer of the heart or the mouth. It's a prayer of the heart where you take all of these things and you keep them in your own heart and mull over them and say, Lord, this doesn't make sense. I'm presenting this person to you. Again, we can, it's like whenever there's someone who's sick, when we bring them to the doctor, you see in the movies, you don't say, doctor, I think you should produce, perform this procedure and that procedure. No, here, here's the person I love. You take care of them. And that's sort of what we're doing. We're presenting not just the items, but the whole entire person. Lord, you take care of them. We symbol them in our hearts. Mary symbols them in our hearts to break things down, to produce the fertile soil, to allow the Lord to transform and redeem. But this process 
is not one that is always easy. To break things down in prayer means you're going to have to wrestle. Why did this happen? I don't understand this. Lord, give me faith. And you, in a certain sense, almost take the, the, the suffering on yourself. You feel it. Almost like sort of a spiritual osmosis through the body of Christ. I'm sure many of you have heard this, that John Paul II would say Mass in his private chapel, and uh, people would be invited to go. And and I remember the first time that I was able to go, and when I was a seminarian, and walking into the small chapel, and, and here's the Pope, and this is maybe, what, 1996, so he's still about 10 years to go, but the Parkinson had begun to set in, and he's hunched over like this, and I'm right behind him. He's right in front of me. And, and you could hear him moan. You could hear him groan. And, and I really got this sense. Here is this man in deep, deep prayer. But he's not saying anything. He's not thinking anything. He's taking all the, 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 the strain of the world on his shoulders and his heart. Praying and, and these, the spirit praying through him. The spirit's the one breaking things down. Then, of course, as I was genuflecting in the pew right behind him, or the chair behind him, my, my fascia caught under the chair, and when I stood up, it flipped over and made a big noise. And it disturbed the Holy Father from all the weight in the world. And I'll never forget, he looks back and goes, shook his head, and then went back to praying. So if there was any tragedy in the world that day because the Pope didn't get to pray for it, probably my fault. <laughs> probably my fault. You see what, what I'm saying? And, and this is sort of the role of the mediator. This is the role of the priest. This is the role of Mary. Now, now I, I don't have it with me, and I think the sisters remember it because someone brought it back to me. Uh, there was a whole a prayer corridor image that y'all got the summer retreat. There's like a little Carmelite sitting, standing at the bottom, and there's a priest saying Mass, I think, on the Sacred Heart. And the wound of the Sacred Heart is sort of through the back of the priest's vestment. In the sense that the priest is in his is, is offering up the prayer, the sacrifice, maybe with the sister, that he is experiencing that same wound, that same piercing. Do you all remember the sister? All right, no, no, they're looking at me. Where did you get this, Father? I'm going to get it for y'all. <laughs> because someone who was here on retreat uh, brought it back and showed it to me. And so it's the same thing. It's Mary. She, The sword that pierces Christ's heart pierces her heart. It's the suffering and the pain that we take as we work through these things. But what really struck me about what Ratzinger said is that it's based on friendship. It's based on friendship. If you go back in that, the priest is friends with these people and therefore is able to take up his joy, their joy and their suffering and everything. It's dependent on friendship. So think of it. Let's say some random person comes to you and says, hey, uh, I'd really like you to pray for me and my grandmother or grandfather. Well, you're going to say, okay, I'll pray for them. You'll say, hell, Mary. But let's say it's your best friend. Let's say something you really know. You're going to pray, God willing, in a much deeper way. In fact, you're going to empathize in a certain way. Their suffering is going to lead to the tenderness of your own heart. You're going to be pierced like they're pierced. 
even if you think you don't have a Marian heart, because of that friendship, because of the way that you're connected. And so they give you the burden, and you are happy to take that burden. Why? Because you love them. It's not too heavy. You're willing to fast for them. You're willing to stay up and, and do a holy hour. You're willing to symbol through this. And even in a certain sense, take on the suffering for yourself. And see this in, in parents when they have their child diagnosed with cancer or some terrible suffering and they begin praying. And they all say, I'll be willing to suffer and die in place of my child. That's the type of intercessory prayer I'm talking about. That's the prayer of the Marian heart. It's also the, shows the reality of needing to be friends with people. Priests with the lay people, sisters with each other and with lay people. Sisters are human, priests are human, we need friends also, and amongst ourselves. But it also shows that how we can have friendship with Mary. And that's the thing, usually, Mary is up there, she's our mother. She's glowing. We can be friends with Mary. Mary Magdalene was friends with Mary. The apostles were friends with Mary. They still reverenced her. Maybe called her mom. I don't know. But what does that friendship with Mary look like? Not just as our mother, but as a friend. So we can have that, that, that comfort, that ease of saying, here's my suffering. Here's the stuff I need to give you. Here's the things that don't make sense. And putting it in the compost bin of the Marian heart so it can be transformed. So this type of prayer, which I don't even know how to put into words, but I think people maybe understand, is the process that transforms the refuse and all of the stuff that doesn't make sense into her heart and into the Marian heart. It's like a mother giving birth, if we're going to use another analogy. It brings forth life in this process. And if we have a Marian heart that is receptive, and if we learn how to not just say prayers, but to really pray in this powerful way of taking up another person's stuff, their burden, and giving it to the Lord in this unique way, then we can be little compost bins ourselves connected to Mary's one big compost bin. I think Therese's draw me is exactly what this is. Therese didn't, too many people to pray for. I'm the same way. I can't remember everybody's name all the time, but if I say draw me, it all goes together. And Therese saying, draw me here, take it all of the torrent. You figure it out, Lord. You infuse it with the Spirit and to allow that process through prayer. And so we offer our heart and genuine prayer, committed prayer, an interior life as an interceding on behalf of the other person. This is part of the vocation of the priest as mediator and religious. Why do people come to the sisters and ask for prayer? Because they know that the Lord listens to them. Uh, you know, I've said it before, I have a sister who is a contemplative that prays for me. I have a lot of sisters who, who are contemplative and not to pray for me. And so she writes a little letter. She says, Father, I pray that you become a saint in heaven and don't have to go through purgatory. Which means you will suffer greatly. 
do not pray against me, you will lose. She actually said that. Jesus always listens to my prayer, and I know I'm doomed. I'm doomed. I'm going to suffer because the sisters are praying. And, and that's just how it works. That's because the closer you are to the heart of the, the, the Lord's heart, Mary's heart, he listens. But it's a joy to be able to do this. I don't, I'm not saying that it's a joy for priests to, sisters to make me suffer. That's not what I'm saying. But it's a joy to take on the burdens of others, to pray for them. Love doesn't seek an obligation. It goes above and beyond. And that's the point. It's not just the prayer, but it's the prayer and love of a genuine friendship and affection for the other person. And so through that process, it could take a long time. It could take a short period of time. We begin to see results in our lives, in the lives of others, and the others that we take into the refuge of our heart. And it helps to produce the rich soil that produces the garden, produces the life. It's a process, but this is where we're going. We're ultimately going to the garden of the heart. And so I want to read a poem for you, and it's written by someone I think the sisters know, Ruth Burroughs. She's an English contemplative sister. I saw the essence of prayer here. There's one copy at least. You should buy it. It's really good. Um, And she's, I think she's great. If you all haven't read Sister Ruth Burroughs, she's was friends with sister Wendy Beckett and did all the art stuff. I believe she's still alive, isn't she? She's like 96, 97, I think. Yeah. And this this sister gets it. She gets it. And so listen to this poem. She has all kinds of wonderful stuff on prayer. I'm going to read it for you. I'm going to try to read it in a non-boring way. I made a garden for God. No, do not misunderstand me. It was not on some lovely estate or even a pretty suburb. I made a garden for God in the slum of my heart, a sunless space between grimy walls, the reek of cabbage water in the air, refuse strewn on the cracked asphalt, the ground of my garden. This was where I labored night and day, Over the long years, a dismal smog and cold, there was nothing to show for my toil. Like a child, I could have pretended. My slum transformed, an oasis of flowers and graceful trees. How pleasant to work in such a garden. I could have lost heart and neglected my garden to do something else for God. But I was making a garden for God, not for myself. For his delight, not mine. And so I worked in the slum of my heart. Was he concerned with my garden? Did he see my labor in tears? Never saw him looking, never felt him there. Yet I know, felt as if I did not know, that he was there with me, waiting. He has come into his garden. Is it beautiful at last? Are there flowers and perfumes? I do not know. The garden is not mine, but his. God asks only for my little space to be prepared and given. This is garden for him, and my joy is full. There's a lot there. There's a lot there. It speaks of a lot of what we're talking about. The garden, it starts in the slum of her heart, the emptiness there. 
the heart that belongs not to her, but to the Lord. And so she's there, she's doing the work, she's tilling the soil. And you know what? Doesn't see a lot of produce. Doesn't see a lot of things that happen. In fact, feels like nothing's happening. But she knows there is because the garden belongs to Jesus. The garden belongs to Jesus, and it gives him joy. He's the ultimately the one that's going to make the flowers grow. And so in the same way, in this compost bin of the Marian heart that is empty, it is a heart that ultimately belongs to the Lord. Whatever we do in that garden, whether it be for ourselves or for others, ultimately belongs to the Lord and needs to be for his glory. So if we want to have a beautiful garden, whether it happens quick, maybe we have some miracle grow, or whether it takes a long time, we've got to give it to Mary. And that's to say, Mary, I want your heart, because we know that Mary's garden of a heart looks pretty nice. It's got some flowers, the little shrubs are, 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 are you know, nicely designed. She's the one who could do it. It's not necessarily going to be an easy process, but we give it to her. She can transform it. Like in the image of the divine shepherd, as we talked about earlier today, with the water flowing from her heart. It's the fresh water that can bring about the, 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 the bounty of the soil. Of course, it all ties back into the reservoir of Jesus' heart. And if we have Mary in charge of the heart and begins to produce fruit, and then we can share this fruit with others, and then if our heart takes on the refuge of others, then we can bear fruit for them through the own tasks that we have of receiving them. Again, but it all depends on what? That emptiness of our own heart and allowing Mary to do the work. And so that's it. The heart is the garden. The other metaphor, the jardin clos, the closed garden in Scripture that belongs only to the Lord. So one way we can describe Mary, her virginal heart, the caramel or cloister, it's a closed garden that belongs to Jesus. It's beautiful, but it's there primarily to give glory to God, and it belongs to him for his joy and delight. And that's what our heart is. Ultimately, it is going to belong to God. And if we have Mary in hearts, he is going to delight in it as he delights in his mother's pure and immaculate heart. And so all of those through that process, whatever flowers blossom, those are the, the people the Lord has given to us. They're all little flowers planted in our heart. Sometimes they need to be transposed and put elsewhere, uh, transplanted and put elsewhere. And sometimes the, the, the soil is so fertile because of this process, it can grow trees. And some people's hearts are like that big mustard tree, the mustard bush that can hold so many birds in it. Again, it's that refuge, it's the safe place. It's not going to hold a pandemonium of parrots, though. It's going to aggravate everybody at 8 o'clock when they're trying to wake up from bed. The wildlife sanctuary. This is the goal. The restoration of Eden. The fact of the matter is, we may not see it in this life. You may see a few buds here. You may see a few nice little flowers. 
but ultimately it's going to blossom in the next life. All that work we do of composting is going to be bearing fruit in the resurrection of the body. We let go of all the pain, all the suffering, and are able to live for eternity in the kingdom of heaven with the Lord. We delight in him and that he delights in us. So that's the segue to tomorrow's talk. Um, what, 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 what this looks like, where this all goes. And so tonight, the sort of extension of what we talked about is, is your own homework. What do we have in our hearts? The refuse, the stuff that we struggle with. We've already talked about it. It could be shame. It could be things that we don't understand. We're going to give it to Jesus. We're going to give it to Mary. Let them transform it. But also tonight, as we're praying, and I'm going to go through and give everyone a blessing, they're going to encounter Jesus in a real way. And you can give him that stuff that you have, but also maybe you're here interceding for someone. Or there's someone who's very heavy on your heart. Take the blessing in their stead. Take in proxy. Able to do that. Lord, bless this other person that I'm praying for, that I'm interceding for through me, and the Lord's going to be happy to be able to do that. And so we have our blessing, and we go and we rest tonight, wake up for tomorrow, and to close out our retreat. So again, there's going to be, after I finish this, about a 10-minute break, I will go to the back and hear the confessions for those who are not able to go to confession. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, shall be, before that end, amen.